Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. We're going to be reading out of two scriptures. I'm going to read out of Luke 1, and Kayleen here is going to read out of Revelation 12. And we're going to go back and forth. So if you try to read straight through, you might get confused unless you got the Bible memorized. I mean, if so, good for you. Um, so Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be, a, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be able to, un- to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be f- to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. Revelation 12, 1 through 9. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 thorns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron fist, scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Luke 1, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Revelation 12, 10 through 17. 
Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of the Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accused them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Good morning, Amago. Do I have this on? All right, there, here we are. Man, it's almost 11 o'clock, and I'm going to try and go through every verse, every one of them. I'm going to give you some Greek and Hebrew, and no, we're, we're only going to, I'm going to spend 15 minutes taking the big idea. Uh, sorry for the uh, parking mix-up. Uh, I think there was a lot of basketball tournament or something. Chad, you can let us know. Bad, bad, Chad, bad. Jesus, we thank you for Advent season because we get to the heart of how you came here. And I pray over the next three, four Sundays, may we understand the beauty of of the incarnation and what that means for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, we, are, we are kicking off a new series. It's a Christmas series. It's Advent. And the whole ideal is, is, is here in anticipation. Here in anticipation. And if you think about that for a second, you would, you would say, man, that, that sounds wrong. Like, it needs to be rearranged. You need to say, uh, anticipating Jesus. Does that make sense? No. Let me change it around. If you're anticipating something, no, let's go this way. Um, let me go to my notes. <laughs> He's here. How about that? So why do we need to anticipate him? 
If the whole ideal of the incarnation is that God broke into human history, where is that sense of anticipation? Now, what we saw in the scripture reading, we went back and forth because what we must realize is that there wasn't just one advent. There wasn't just Jesus breaking into human history as a child, incarnating and coming to do and live what we couldn't live. There's a second incarnation, sorry, second, there's a second advent, a second coming. The first coming is the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, the fact that he did what we couldn't do, the fact that he lived what we couldn't live, the fact that he went to a cross and died, the fact that he was in a tomb for three days and resurrected, and the fact that he defeated our ultimate enemy, which is sin and death. And now he sits as our risen king at the right hand of the Father. That's one side of the advent, that Jesus came in that reality. And yet at the same time, what we realize is that Jesus is coming again. That he's coming on the clouds. That everything that's been wrong about the world, God comes to make right. As Martin Luther King once said, though the moral universe uh, stretches long, I think something like that, it ultimately bends toward justice, that God comes to redeem and make all wrong right. And we await his return. But as we await, we find ourselves as Christ followers, people that love Jesus, we find ourselves caught between two advents. We find ourselves living in this tension. We see Jesus coming in Luke chapter 1, and yet we see in Revelations 12 that though Jesus came and died, there's still a war that is being wrought in the heavenlies for our salvation. That we live in this battle, this conflict, this tension between these two realities, between these two advents. And so during the Christmas season, God is challenging us to think about how we live into that type of tension. There's three things that I want you to think about today. How to live in that tension between the first advent and the second advent. How do we as believers, how do we as Christ followers that know and love Jesus, what does that look like? There's a battle that ensues in this life, and we feel it, we sense it, we experience it. But how do we live into it? And what does it look like in our life? And I'm just going to unpack three things this morning. And I'm going to go back and forth between those two passages of Scripture. Look with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, starting in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled, verse 29, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, 
You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Will never end. So how do we live in these times, in this epic battle, in this tension between these two advents? Well, what we see here in the life of Mary, we see a God that blows up every one of our expectations and gives us a new matrix for living, a new rubric for living. Notice who God calls. Notice how God enters into human history. He doesn't come through Caiaphas' daughter. He doesn't come through a woman filled with royalty. The fact that he even comes through a woman is profound in and of itself, given that women were, were profoundly marginalized and dispossessed. And yet Jesus comes to the lowest of lows in a town called Galilee and works through and enter uh, works through and breaks forth his kingdom through Mary the least likely this is the kingdom of god this is the power of the christmas story the fact that we announce this jesus that comes and he comes counterintuitive to how we understand a savior to come. And if you're going to start a movement, you would never ever start a movement this way. And this is exactly how our God works. And he dictates who we hang out with, who he calls himself to, who is the recipients of his miracles and how we proclaim the kingdom of God to people is completely and utterly different than how we do it. And this is exactly the God that we serve, that he unearths our thinking, our expectations, how we understand the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but I have some big concerns about the gospel that we preach. Because the kind of gospel that we preach meets the kind of expectations that we set, but they don't turn those expectations on their head. And this is what we see in the life of Jesus. When he breaks into human history, when he comes through Mary, He upsets the apple cart. He turns power. He he doesn't come through a a posture of power, but he comes through a posture of powerlessness. And that's what we see here. So my question for you this morning is, is how is God changing your expectations? How does the Christmas season challenge you? How do we live into the gospel? How does it change our world? I know for myself, it challenged me in three ways. First, the kind of community that I was going to exist in. I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I grew up in Inglewood. Inglewood was 99.9% African-American. In my wildest dreams that I ever think when I was 19 that I'd end up in Corvallis. I mean, Portland is the whitest city. Corvallis has got to be the whitest town. 
And if you told me, as a 19-year-old black man from Inglewood, California, that God's greatest work in my life to prepare me for what I do today would start in Corvallis, I would have laughed in your face because my pastor was from South Carolina. He wore a bow tie. They played string guitars. You've heard this story before. And yet God brought me to faith right there and knew that I would never, ever end up in a black church at that time. Something that was familiar, something that you would expect, something that would make sense. And this is exactly what God does. He was calling me into a community that was polar opposite than the one that I experienced. Because that is exactly what God does in your life. My question to you, who's at your dinner table? What does your friend circle look like? How was God blowing up your expectations? This is what we're trying to do here on the east side, is to rearrange what community looks like, to truly create a new calculus for being, to not manage our community the way the city manages its communities based upon race and money and socioeconomic status, where we try and manage and tell people where to live. The kingdom of God is completely and utterly different. So what does your community look like? Not only what does your community look like, but what does your calling look like? How is God blowing up your expectations of what you thought you should be doing by now? I remember, again, my own personal story. Right after I got cut in 1989 with the Portland Trailblazers, I went back to L.A. and all my buddies who just finished college, and they got nice, pretty, cushy uh, corporate jobs. I didn't. I was struggling with drugs and trying to figure out my life. I had just got done playing basketball. God took me back, not to Corvallis, but to Portland. And I remember working in youth ministry on, on about a $600 a month salary and turning to the youth pastor at the time, who was an older, wiser man named Bob McGray, who was one of the best pastors I've ever had in my entire life. And I told him, man, it's really tough for me to hear about all my buddies who graduated from college making big money working in corporate job, and here I am making $600 working in your group serving your kids. And he said something powerful to me. He said, don't ever, Eric, don't ever, ever, ever get on the timetable of the world in terms of what success looks like. And God was breaking up my expectations in terms of my career. Never in a wild dream did I ever think that I'd be working in youth ministry, that I would love youth ministry, that I'd be 51 years old and be nothing really more than just an old youth pastor. <laughs> this isn't what I thought I'd be doing my life at 51 years, chasing kids around, letting them drive me crazy. But God blew up my expectations. How does God blow up your expectations? We serve a God that came to marry to a woman, to one that was lowly. And he flipped her world upside down. How does God flip your world upside down? You with me this morning? But not only does he challenge our expectations, but look at Mary's life here. Let me go back up, back up just a little bit here. Look at this. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at verse 29, right? It said that in verse 28, that it said, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at 
his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are going to give him the name Jesus. And notice what Mary says in verse 34. He says, how will this be? What angel just told you, Mary, how this is going to be. Right? You, this is how it's going to, you're going to find favor. You're going to be with child. You're going to give him a name, Jesus. And Mary's like, how is this going to be? I'm a virgin. Which means that oftentimes, not only does God blow up your expectations, but the Christmas season says that God also blows up our assumptions. How is God blowing up your assumptions about who he is and how he works and how the kingdom of God breaks in and who he works through and who he doesn't work through and what the, what Christianity looks like and what it doesn't look like? I don't know about you, but I find myself today never has it been harder to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian? I don't even like the label evangelical. What does it mean to know Jesus in an authentic way? What does it mean to have a conservative leaning on the one hand and yet be liberal, loving, and engaging culture? What does that look like? What does that, what does that whole uh, category look like today? How was my assumptions being blown up? And this is exactly what God is always doing in our life. He's calling us to live in this radical kind of faith where we don't understand everything. Right? Science says that a bunch of molecules came together and exploded, and this is how our universe came into creation. And yet at the same time, to believe that that's something came out of nothing really is a faith leap. Right? And yet at the same time, if we're honest, as Christians, none of us have ever seen God. Right? To believe in something that we've never seen is also a faith leap. And yet God is calling both science and faith into a radical faith leap to understand who he radically is. And yet he deconstructs our assumptions about who he is because he doesn't fully unveil himself in ways we understand him. So God challenge is a, a God that challenges our assumptions about who he is and about the ways he works. And yet here's Mary struggling after the angel said, look, look, look the, the kingdom of God, the king of the universe is, is coming through you, Mary, and lays it out. And yet she's still is having a hard time because she's a virgin. She's not been in relations. And yet God is challenging her assumptions about how he is. But lastly, not only does the Christmas story challenge us about his expectations and his assumptions, it unearths our accusations. Look with me in Revelation chapter 12 real quick. It says this in verse 10. 
Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And they overcome him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they do not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Do you see that? It says in verse 10, now have come the salvation. What is the salvation? And the power in the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brother who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Man, do we live in a time of accusation. Do we not live in a time of accusation? Man. And yet the power of the gospel is that it provides salvation in this hour. And it is a gospel that deals with every accusation that we deal with in our own life. One of the saddest realities of our own Christianity is that we are nothing more than a collection of what people have said about us, what our parents have said about us, what our teachers have said about us. And it's not been good. And yet the gospel comes and challenges every accusation that we battle in our own mind that tell us that we're not saved, that we don't know Jesus, that we need to work harder, that we need to pray harder, that we need to be more moral. God challenges all those all those accusations in our mind. That's why the biggest thing you could ever do in your own Christianity is to preach the gospel to yourself every day. I don't know about you, but I, I often live in this good day, bad day. When I'm praying and I'm reading my Bible and I'm, you know, out in the city doing my work, I feel qualified to preach the gospel. And then there's days when I wake up and I don't pray, I don't read, I don't feel spiritual, I feel very sinful, I'm aware of my own weaknesses, and God brings a ministry opportunity in my way, and I can't because I didn't pray. I'm not clean enough of a cup to be used of God that day. And yet the gospel cuts across all that and says you have been redeemed, you have been made righteous, you are pure, not because of anything that you do, but because of what I've done. And yet the enemy comes to accuse us and say, you aren't right. You are living well. You are sinful. And yet the gospel says we live into something other than our doubts, other than the accusations. We live into the life of Jesus who procured victory for us. And that is the good news of the gospel. Man. Okay, there we go. Thank you, man. Man, thank you, man. I don't know about you, but like when I go to a grocery store, I, I went to, funny this week, I went to Whole Foods. I was on my way to Benson and I went to Whole Foods and I bought a juice and she was like, do you want a receipt or not? And I'm like, yeah, I need a receipt. I can't get out of this store without that receipt, right? That's so what I'm thinking to myself, a brother walking with a drink in his hand without a receipt? They're going to make me pay for this twice. <laughs> I said, give me my receipt. Yeah. So I'm 
But the receipt, the point of the receipt for me is if anybody stops me is to prove that the purchase has been made. And this is the beauty of the gospel that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb. That is the receipt that we have that says, like, right, all accusations against us, Christ has already paid that on the cross. And that's the problem that we walking around life, not understanding the gospel, not only even understanding the gospel receipt, the beautiful blood of Jesus who went to the cross, died and did everything that we couldn't do, live what we couldn't live and became everything that we couldn't become. And now our life is hidden in him. Man, that is good news. That is the beauty of the Christmas story. And so God transforms us the way we think. Right. We need to preach to ourselves the good news of the gospel, even when you sin, before you even repent of that sin, which you can use as a way of trying to earn your righteousness before God, because you got on your knees and asked for his forgiveness. You need to preach the gospel first before you even get on your knees to repent, just to remind yourself that even the sin you're getting ready to repent of has been covered in his blood. And that is the power of the gospel. Right. When you're freed up like that, when people say, now, what kind of Christian are you like? What kind of pastor are you like? This is a whole different category of living. It's like when you can let your hair down and breathe, the gospel creates this whole new matrix for living. This, like I said, new rubrics for living. And this is what he calls us to. This is the Christmas season. This is what we're right. Like we. Like we, we get to experience that now and yet we anticipate the, the fullness of it when Christ comes back in the second advent. So this morning, what does that look like in your life? Man, we live in a culture that says, man, the more money you make, the more career opportunities you take advantage of, the more degrees you get creates a greater sense of security. And what that ends up doing oftentimes in our life is removing expectation. My life is predictable. I got security. I know what it's, I got my whole life lined out. That's not how God works. <laughs> Your life is lined out, but God lines it out oftentimes different. So my question is, how was God blowing up your expectations? How is he deconstructing your assumptions about what you think he is and how he operates and who he operates through? How are you living in the gospel in such a way that he's healing your doubts, that he's dealing with every accusation that you have? Man, I don't know about you, but for all the older folks in here like me, I'm, I'm just north of 50, on my way to 60. If you think, young folks, man, I never thought I'd be saying that. <laughs> man, I'm, just, I'm already there now. Look, young people, if you think the older you get, the more holier you're going to get, you're kidding yourself. In fact, I find myself at 51 more aware of my sinfulness. I feel like I'm more corrupt than I've ever been. And I'm more flawed than I've ever been. 
And yet I love the gospel more than I ever have. I need the gospel more than I ever have. This is the power of the Christmas story. The fact that Jesus came and procured our salvation. But it is a salvation in our life that will not go uncontested. And we see that in Revelation 12, that the dragon is here to go to war on us. So how do you then, as we just did our series in Ephesians, how do you flip it on its head? How do you live upside down? And that's what the Christmas season calls us into. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a God that's never reasonable. You turn every expectation and demand we place on you, you, you turn it on its head because you know what's good for our heart and our mind. Lord, you know our assumptions about what we think and who you are. Challenge our assumptions this morning about what it means to know you. Challenge our assumptions around hard sayings of the scripture that don't reconcile with our reality of fairness and compassion. God, we thank you that your thoughts are not our thoughts, your ways are not our ways. God, many of us wrestle with sin and accusation. God, I know there's the public self, there's the private self, and then there's the subterranean self that nobody knows. And it's in that place of darkness that we struggle, oftentimes alone, in our heart, in our thoughts. That you come to set us free, to heal us, to help us understand that the, the, the most inner part of, of our being is redeemed by your blood. I thank you for the communion table this morning. That we can eat of the bread, we can drink of the cup. Because that's where liberty is, that's where freedom is. That's where the battle is won. That the bread and the cup is a reminder that we have victory even though we live in the tension of the two advents. That you're here in the elements and yet we anticipate your coming. And so today, God, as we come to the communion table, would you go to work on our heart? Would you go to work on our mind? Would you allow us to see our true freedom in you? 
in Jesus' name. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.